Welcome to the Tote the Note podcast hosted by Jim Rhodes, founder and head coach at the Octane Group. Join us while we dive into the questions that matter most to buy here, pay here operators in the world of subprime auto finance. This episode is brought to you by our friends at NEO. And now, here's your host, Jim Rhodes. Hello, friends. Welcome. I'm Jim Rhodes, the founder and head coach of the Octane Group, and I'm lucky to have with us today Brent Carmichael, who's returning from uh, many past appearances. That's the first time he's heard the intro music. That's why we were kind of grooving to the, the sound of the new music there. And uh, we've also got Chris Tiller from Car Financial. Uh, welcome, Chris. Glad to have you here. So our listeners uh, who've been kind of keeping up with uh, Brent and myself through the podcast track, we have been doing a series on what we call the hardest questions in buy here, pay here. And uh, some, frankly, Brent, have been harder than others. But we're uh, today we've got kind of a tricky one, and, and it's an important one. We're talking about, you know, what is kind of the industry outlook? And this is something I kind of stay away from myself, typically. Uh, but this today is just conversational. We're going to talk about our perspectives on kind of what's happening in the industry and what it means for our buy here, pay here folks out there. So, you know, today I want to kind of make sure everybody understands who, uh, who we're listening to. When you hear perspectives from Brent Carmichael, you're talking about somebody who's been with NCM Associates now for coming up on 15 years, Brent. I think it says November will be 15 years for you. Is that right? That is correct. That is outstanding. Correct. And so Brent is uh, a senior moderator and consultant, a trainer with NCM and handles many buy here, pay here groups. And I can just tell you that I know of no one in the industry that's going to be uh, more trusted and respected on, on these fronts. There's just almost no part of this industry that Brent hasn't been exposed to at some level. And so I think it's, it's, it's important to understand he just, he's been in it. He's, he's obviously been in operations and now as a moderator, he has, uh, you know, moderated groups and is inside, you know, conversations with dealers coast to coast, you know, week in and week out. So he's certainly got a real good finger on the pulse. And I think if you, if you think about somebody that you would want to bring into your operation, uh, good luck getting him. He's got to be, his calendar has got to be stacked, but, uh, but he's somebody that you certainly would want to bring in if you've got a big problem to solve. I think Brent's one of your first calls. And, and uh, so we'll make sure at the end of the broadcast that you know how to find Brent. And then Chris Tiller is uh somebody who's been with uh, Car Financial in Georgia. Um, by the way, I should make sure our listeners know, I think you're going to hear today a little bit of Arkansas. Uh, Brent's probably at his home in Kentucky today. I'm originally Oklahoma, 12 years in Texas. I know, Chris, you've got a history in Texas as well. I still hear a little Texas in, in your uh, accent, but now, now many years in Georgia. And you're coming up on 20 years with Car Financial. Is that right? That's right. Outstanding. So you might take a little bit and help the audience know, kind of give give your background and then also uh, the the car financial background. Uh, sure, thanks, Jim. I've uh, been with Car, like you said, for 20 years. I was with another uh, competing finance company before that for uh, seven years, and then was with Toyota Motor Credit uh, out of uh, out of college mm -hmm. uh, for seven years. So been in the uh, been in the uh, industry uh, now for better than 30 years. Uh, never done really anything other than uh, auto finance across several different uh, spaces, uh, wholesale from wholesale uh, and collections uh, with Toyota into uh, management of the in the subprime space uh, into uh, sales and sales management with Car Financial, uh, and now I'm vice president of the division uh, within Car Financial. Uh, we. Uh, Car Financial uh, 
we have 17 offices plus an additional uh, 24 territory managers across 44 states, covering 44 states uh, in, in the U.S. And then we have two offices in Guam and Saipan uh, in the Pacific. So nice. uh, we, uh, we've got our, our wings spread uh, pretty far and wide across the country. And I said, Brent, you may know too, like, I don't see car financial out there. They're, they're at the conferences. They'll often have a booth and we'll be able to happen by and find them, but I don't see them out there, spend a lot of money advertising and promoting themselves. Uh, but they're certainly out there. You said uh, all those territories, how many, how many reps again on? Well, we have 17 area managers that have our offices right. and then an additional 24 territory managers who are uh, standalone operators uh, within a within a territory around the country. Nice. So if you're a uh, buyer dealer listening this morning and you look out your front window from the dealership and you see car driving by, that is probably a rep from Car Financial. All you got to do is reach out to them and they'll stop by and see you. But they're they're just not aggressive. They've got, and I will say about Car Financial, you guys have probably more programs, like more solutions for dealers, including earlier stage dealers than probably anybody I know. Is that fair? Well, we really we really pride ourselves on going in and, and discussing with the dealer, uh, learning the uh, the principal operations of the dealership, uh, really getting to know what the dealer does and how uh, what their secret sauce is and uh, what they do, so that we can customize a program for that particular dealer. Yep. We have a, a normal suite of dealers. We bulk purchase receivables. We do streams of payments. We have payment sharing programs. Uh, we do backup servicing for a lot of the financial. Uh, institutions that are in our space and uh, we have custodial operations that we uh, hold documents for uh, financial institutions uh, and we do outright servicing for uh, for dealerships mm -hmm. so within we, within all of that and I, I don't know if i mentioned floor planning we do floor planning also wow. uh, so within all of that we can come in and and really if i can if i can come in and get to know the dealer and his operation we really feel comfortable um structuring a program that we feel like will work for that dealer, not necessarily uh, the same thing that's working for the guy across the street. Right. And uh, Brent, did I miss anything about your background or anything you want to share about Chris's background? No, Easy. no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chris and I have known each other for about the same 14 or 15 years I've been with NCM. And I can just tell you that they don't need to advertise, Jim. I mean, their reputation is above reproach in the industry, so they don't need to be out there spending all kinds of money because everybody knows who they are. So, which is uh, a testament to Chris and his leadership since he's been there. Um, Voice had great relationships with Car Financial and everybody there. So, uh, like I said, they're, they're one of those companies they don't need to advertise. Yep, no, they just don't. That's, that's kind of what we see. So, our theme for today is really going to be industry outlook and perspectives. You know, we're, we're coming through a weird time. I think we would all say that this whole COVID experience, you know, th those of us who've been around this thing for 20 plus years, we've seen weird stuff. We, you know, we saw the, the crash of 08 and how that affected or didn't affect, uh, you know, folks in the buy here, pay here space. Um, we, you know, COVID was a strange phenomenon. I mean, that, that pandemic obviously affected buy here, pay here in, in unique ways. And now kind of what prompted this conversation today was that my conversation with Chris, you know, recently was, you know, that his perspective from, uh, you know, a financial guy is that, you know, he, he probably sees more news about the, the finance sector than I would. And so, you know, he was sharing that this, this, this particular situation is a little different. So what I thought I would do today is take our listeners, especially our buy here, pay here dealers, and think about just bring some perspectives from some folks who have been at this a while 
And so I would just say these, these gentlemen are not here to make predictions. In fact, let me just make sure our audience knows by continuing to listen to this broadcast, you are not, um, you relieve these gentlemen from any liability. <laughs> They're not making any predictions here. So this is, this is all about just uh, sharing perspective and our understanding of the industry. So, so th with that in mind, I would just say, um, you know, Chris, if you want to share first kind of what you're, what you're seeing about this particular environment, kind of what, what would be your guess about the outlook? Like if you're a dealer um, and then you just, we bump into one another at a conference, I'm a dealer and you're going to advise me, um, you know, what, what do you feel like is, is different? Like what, what should I be doing differently if I'm in the buy here, pay here space? Well, I think it's, I think it's important to understand our, our customers are resilient. Uh, the difference in maybe our customer base and others uh, might be within the fact that they need the car uh, to get back and forth to work, and, and they understand that and always have. Uh, and there's a resilience uh, to that uh, to that knowledge. Uh, this is a situation that we're currently in. Uh, you and I were speaking out with the other day, and I think the question that you asked uh, asked was. Uh, why is this different uh, from the 08 financial crisis? And in my opinion, the, the major difference is, and in my lifetime, uh, we've never seen inflation like we have today. And, and, and truly, uh, while, we, while we always compete uh, with the customer's uh, desire to move money from one place or the other uh, to buy goods and services, now it becomes a uh, situation where we're competing with gas and food. And, and so those things become, they will become pressure. Um, uh, my guess would be sometime uh, later in the summer uh, into the early fall, we'll start seeing pressure on our portfolios from a collection standpoint. Uh, delinquency uh, starting to rise a little bit now, but really not as much as, as some might expect. Uh, but the inflationary pressure on our customer it hits our customer harder than it hits some other uh, customer bases. So it'll be interesting to see as we go through uh, what happens with delinquency as we go through the end of the summer and the, and the beginning of the fall. Yeah. So Brent, you see lots of numbers from across the country. What's your perspective on that? Well, I mean, Chris, is, <clears throat> excuse me, Chris has kind of hit the nail on the head with that. The, the one thing that I see as a positive though, is now this, minimum wage has gone to 12 or 13 or $14 an hour, right? I mean, Chick-fil-A is paying it, Walmart's paying it. And again, spent a lot of time on the road the last three months in dealerships, and I'm starting to see that on credit applications. So I'm not seeing the $9 an hour, $10 an hour anymore. Um, I'm not seeing as many 15, 17, 18s. I'm going to be honest with you that I want to see. So to Chris's point about uh, the pressure on the portfolio, I'm, you know, I'm kind of the same way. I think you're going to see a rise in delinquencies because a lot of these portfolios still have the guys that were making 19 11 12 dollars an hour haven't gotten their raises if they're even going to get them to a certain extent or maybe not have switched jobs at this point so i think there's going to be a little bit of a fallout um we know all the free money now is gone has been gone the extended unemployment is gone and the thing that i'm seeing currently is not as big of a fall off as we thought and I don't know if Chris would agree with that or not, but I, I promise you when, when unemployment kind of went away, I think a lot of us were really kind of on the edge of our seats going, okay, you know, what are we looking at? A 20% degradation, a 10% degradation? And we really haven't seen it. But again, we just came off a of tax season where tax returns were higher than they've ever been. So now we're the first time when we're kind of reality driven, you know, this summer. 
gas prices are up, everything is up 9%. I just read today, June over June, the highest in 40 years uh, kind of thing. But again, to Chris's point, our, our customers are resilient. I mean, they are their entire lives, they don't make enough money to cover the bills that they have every month, but they keep a roof over their head, they keep food on their table, and most of the time they keep a car in the driveway. I mean, they are the best money managers I've ever seen in my entire life. They, they just are. They know how to stretch a dollar around better than anybody I've ever seen. So um, I do think probably we'll probably see the worst delinquencies that we've seen year over year November, December, January. The, the tougher times of the year, I think they're going to be tougher this year than they've ever been because right. there is supposedly probably not going to be any kind of relief from the inflation by the end of the year. So I think it's going to hit us more later in the year. Um, so I kind of hope, Chris, you know, I hope it is later as opposed to sooner, but I, I think you're going to start seeing it um, October, November, December when delinquencies kind of rise anyway. I think you're going to see them rise just a little bit more than what they normally do. So we're trying to prepare all of our dealers and their collection departments with paying a little bit extra or being prepared for that now, as opposed to, to when it may actually hit. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, you guys see much larger data pools with our clients. You know, we see, we see data, but not nearly the, the volume of numbers that you would. And, and we see traditionally season, seasonally, you'll see delinquencies low coming off a tax refund season and, and they'll start inching up through the summer. And we're seeing that with all of our dealers, but nothing out of the ordinary so far, all the delinquencies in our small pool, looks like people are kind of, you know, inching toward their, their normal summertime delinquency. So I, I would agree. I think we'll get into late, uh, you know, and the fall will probably be more indicative. So uh, just for our listeners, I would ask you to stay tuned because I'm also going to ask these folks about, you know, repos in particular, and what, what repos really mean to us, you know, in this space, we want to kind of dig into that as well. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the next part is delinquencies, we can kind of manage, you know, we can, we can allow a customer to ride, you know, delinquent for a time, and, and that, while that can hurt us in the short term, and, you know, and even maybe if, if we we got a dealer out there who's with a lender, and they've got some covenants, I mean, that could get that could start to hurt you know, when that, when that uh, portfolio pieces of the portfolio become ineligible, that can obviously have an impact, but we can typically ride out some delinquency for a time. So I think the, the next question is what about repos? Like what, what's the outlook and you have any information, Chris, on what, what we can kind of expect, or can we expect this, this repo or this delinquency thing to, to lead to higher repos and or bankruptcies? That's a great question, and Brent may be better uh, capable of answering it than I am. I'll give you, uh, from from my perspective, uh, we're seeing uh, we're not seeing as large a bump in repos right now as we expected, uh, but we work really, really closely with our dealer base uh, to get those repos back to them so that they can get those cars back on the lot and resell them. So. Typically, it's not as it's not as as big a deal with our portfolios as it might be uh, with some others in the industry. I know that you know, Brent deals with uh, really large, well capitalized uh, dealers in the market, so he probably he, he's probably better uh, to answer than I. But and as far as the bankruptcies uh, go, we're not necessarily we're seeing a, a slight tick up in bankruptcies right now. But but again. Uh, not what probably I would have expected. Uh, now, it stands to, stands to be mentioned that we're also coming off the last couple of years 
historically low delinquency numbers. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about uh, upticks right now, we're still well below historical delinquency numbers right. uh, from, say, 10, 5, 10 years ago. Uh, also, I'll add to something that, uh, that that Brent said a second ago about our customer base. Uh, I, I read an article not long ago about savings and how uh, during the COVID uh, crisis, savings across the board, across all uh, segments of uh, society, savings had gotten larger than it had ever been before. Uh, and I, I read an article the other day that said that those savings that had gotten uh, larger during COVID have now been by and large extinguished. Oh. So, the, so the customers, it, it may be uh, that our customers and our portfolios have been propped up by that savings that they had, which is now gone. Uh, like Brent said, I would, you know, I, I said uh, that we would start seeing it uh, in the late summer, early fall. Uh, Brent mentioned that he expected it to be full bore. Uh, at the end of the at the end of the year, the first of next year, and I think that's probably right. Yeah, so I think um, I follow all that. I think if um, if I'm looking ahead, and, and bankruptcies would be hard to know, but we know that employment is out there. Um, heck, I mean, I could go down to KFC and get same day pay, you know, today. So you know, there's 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 employment, and there's some kind of things that we're like you say we're returning to some normals. I mean, there's this this buzz about the the new normal you know and so you know kind of what is the what is the if we return to some sort of stable um you know environment for for most of our buy here payer dealers that would be around inventory you know if they could get their inventory to at least stabilize they could plan better and and you know we'd hope to to uh you know see that uh you know turn down but we've not seen inventory go down in our lifetimes have we brand it just keeps creeping up 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 so there's probably no reason to expect and and really you know cash for clunkers kicked some of this in you know uh, several years ago and we just continue to see used car prices come up and so that just means um, dealers have to also be resilient and adapt to a shifting you know inventory source and that just means our business model is going to get tweaked a little bit but i think before we dig into that part too much i would say you know i really want to examine brent because you see you work with a lot of dealers who um you know maybe are funding their own operation in which case if you think about a repo and the impact to them if they work with a customer to a point and then you know the customer fails and now they repossess and then they liquidate the inventory whether they recycle that car and put it back in their own inventory through a you know uh, an evaluation process or whether they liquidate either way they're converting that vehicle to cash and then putting another car on the lot let's say so it was provided that that window is fairly short then they're not a huge impact to them provided that there's a buyer on the other end of that right if they get the replacement vehicle back on the lot then it really doesn't hurt them a ton provided there's another buyer to step in so is that you're not in your head like you gentlemen agree that even a repo you know technically the impact is 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 real for a short time but then if we can take that collateral or replacement collateral and finance it you know again to another consumer then it's a very short um it's a very short period of pain for us would you agree oh completely agree um something that that our groups do is they have to do a, a, a projection for us every year in January. So they have to project out for the whole year, sales, charge-offs, payoffs. 
And at our last meetings that we just had in June, account attrition, what we call account attrition, was a big topic. Hmm. And how many units do I got to sell each month to overcome payoffs and charge-offs? Because again, there our dealers for the last, even before the pandemic, probably going back to 17, really 18, 19, became more focused on cash flow, right. either debt leverage reduction or complete debt retirement, one of the two. And so they were already on this path. And now they're very aware that I need 1,400 accounts paying $400 a month to pay the bills and pay back. And so they know the value of exactly what you're talking about. It's okay for everyone I repo and everyone that pays off, I need to sell another one. And so, yeah, in the past, it's been a lot easier to do that than it is currently just because of the cost of inventory. Now they're struggling a little bit more because I have so much more risk on the street where the guy that came in 18 months ago, job time, residence time, income fit this model. The guy that's coming in now, job time, residence time, income doesn't necessarily fit the risk model that I've had in the past because of the cost of car. So there is a little bit of a struggle now in maintaining customer base. Um, and I can tell you, for, unfortunately, I guess, a majority of our groups as a group, when we take a look at those projections, we're actually on pace to lose customers by the end of the year, total number of open accounts by the end of the year, unless they exceeded the last half of the year projections. In other words, they're already behind on the projections for the year. And unless they change something, they're going to end up bleeding some accounts by the end of the year. It's a really interesting dynamic. Last year, when we did these payoffs, were at an all-time high. Number of charged off accounts were kind of at an all-time low. And now it's kind of starting to switch back to where now the number of accounts charged off is kind of, I'm not going to say normalized because I'm going to agree with Chris. We're, I don't compare 2022 to 2021 or even 2020. I compare 2022 to 2019 or 2018, back when it was more normal because we've had two years of abnormality. Right. So if you really want to kind of see what we're doing, then we go back to 19 and 18 and are we anywhere close to those? And again, our data is similar to Chris's. I mean, we're not above charge offs as a percent of sales or static pools aren't running any higher than what they were in 18 and 19. Now they are running higher than what they were in 20 and 21. But again, we were kind of fantasy island for those two years, to be quite honest with you from a collection standpoint. So yeah, the, the impact of a repossession and buy here, pay here has never been a problem unless to your point, you couldn't replace it and replace it fairly quickly. Um, and it's just part of doing business. I mean, we know in our industry, we're going to have them the best dealers offset it with replacing it as soon as possible. Right. right. And hopefully with a more quality one, but Chris knows that that doesn't necessarily work all the time either. So sometimes <laughs> we get the same or even worse than the last one, but that's why we do it. So uh, Chris, anything to add to that? I saw you nodding your head affirmatively through much of that. Well, I, I agree with Brent. I think the, uh, the, the key, uh, really one of the keys to our model altogether is getting those cars back to the dealers so that they can get them back in, rehab them and resell them. And, and it's been a part of our market for uh, as long as I've been involved in it. And, and I think it's it probably stands uh, to reason that it will, you know, will always be part of it. I, uh, Brent also uh, mentioned getting, you know, getting those repos back in and uh, not being a, not being a bad thing. And I agree with that as well. Uh, most of our guys, e even today, if they don't have the sale to a to replace it immediately and they know that that time is coming uh, if they can get that back and put it on the back lot uh, and repair it as they go they know that 
December, January, February uh, next year, they're going to be selling it. Not to say that they want to hold on to it for six months, uh, but normally they normally they would go buy in October, November for tax time, September, October, November in tax time for tax time. And now maybe the repos that they take uh, late summer, early fall uh, will assuage some of the need to, to go and do that. Right. Excellent. So I got to uh, throw in a plug, you know, our sponsor for our podcast is Neo. And I got to say that, you know, I know of no other, no other solution in our industry that can help a dealer create future value in their business more so than Neo. And what I mean by that, Neo is a, is an underwriting, you know, prediction tool. I mean, it's quite predictive and it's really impressive AI. And I would just say, you know, Chris, you're somebody, and I know Brent knows this well, but when we can solve that, if we can have consistency in underwriting, that goes a long way toward one, having a business has a value that we can translate and then also just have metrics that we can we can know what's different, what's what's you know what's working, what's not working. So, you know, we're we're happy to recommend um, Neo, and like I say, in full disclosure, they are our sponsor. They don't compensate us for anything, any kind of referrals, and they're they're busy busy right now because uh, people are starting to understand what Neo, you know, is about and what it can do. But it's a, it's a really impressive solution for you know being predictive about. Uh, uh, business that can tie in past portfolios that can pull in aggregate data and uh, so it's a really nice way to be able to have a chance to do something more predictive so i bring that up kind of in the context of you know there are things as to brent's point about referring back to 2019 michelle and i just read something about housing here in utah got crazy like it did in a lot of other places and and realtors were talking about you know gosh dip big dip in housing sales you know so and and we look at the numbers like oh so you're saying it's back to 2019 you know so it's back to normal it's back to what we used to do and so do we really need to get that worked up we had an anomaly you know it, it spiked for a time and that's that's housing but for us i think we can you know, what I said to, to uh, Chris when we spoke the other day is kind of the same thing. I said, nobody really invites me. Nobody wants to invite me to talk about Outlook for buy here, pay here, because I just, I'm, I'm boring on that. I just say, it's probably going to be the same. Like, it's always been the same. And it's probably going to stay like it's been because, you know, our friend Tommy Brandis, uh, you guys call the customer resilient. Tommy Brandis, a dealer out of Pennsylvania who just sparked 30 years in business, by the way. Tommy says he, he likes to refer to his customers as survivors. And I'd not heard anybody say that. And I tend to agree. That's kind of, you know, what we see about this, this industry. And I've been really clear over the years in articles or whatever. I, I will say, I don't think buy here payers recession proof, but I do like to think it's recession resistant. You know, it's definitely, and, and I think uh, when we spoke, Chris, you shared what Ken Shilson had said. You want to share that quote? How does it, he says it about our space? That uh, when our, when the, when the uh, economy is, is bad, uh, or the economy is good, our business is good. And when the economy is bad, our business is great. Yeah. Uh, and it's specifically because the, uh, the customers that expands our customer base. Uh, it gives us the opportunity to do business with more customers uh, at that time. And it really is, there's no, there, there's nothing more or less to it than that. Right. No, I follow that. So I think. He's a really smart guy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We, we, uh, we've had Brent on or had uh, Ken on with Brent, uh, you know, on our on our podcast series already. And uh, yeah, so he definitely is somebody we can can all pay attention to on that. But, you know, it kind of fits with what I think about it. Things just kind of remain the same with us. Uh, that's not to say we don't have some adjustments that we're certainly making, you know, cost of car has been a, a sudden adjustment, we've seen prices creep up, 
over the years, but we've certainly had a sudden adjustment in, in used car costs in the last couple of years. And so that's obviously been a thing that hurts us capital wise. So maybe Chris, I can ask you as a capital provider, what kind of adjustments have you guys made in your funding process where, where cost of car is concerned? Yeah, the, uh, the, the great thing about it is, Jim, we've stayed really consistent uh, throughout all of this. Uh, we're lucky to have uh, really solid uh, capital partners uh, that have, you know, we've got a long track record, obviously, uh, that they believe in the way that we do the business and, and the longevity with which we've done it. And, and truly, our dealer base stays with us uh, over the long term. Once we get somebody up and running, they stay with us and they don't, they don't generally go anywhere else. So it's uh, it's been really nice for us, and and we've been able to stay consistent. Our uh, we uh, one of the questions you asked me earlier uh, about what I would tell a dealer, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into it in a minute. But is underwriting uh, just watching the underwriting right now, and uh, if we can keep the underwriting in in good shape as it, uh, as we go into this, uh, it'll certainly cut down uh, the losses that we see going forward. But we've got to really pay attention right now uh, to what they're putting out. Sure. Brent, anything to add to that? Well, actually, uh, the moderator hat now comes out in me because I'm going to have a question <laughs> for Chris at this point. I, yeah. And I apologize if you don't want me to do that, Jim, that's fine. Oh, please, but please. It's something that, and I stay in touch with quite a few guys uh, that do the same thing that Chris has done. I mean, what is your concern level, so to speak, with, you know, you've heard the term water in the portfolio, right? And right now, these cars are, if you believe what you read, 40% higher than what they were in 2019 or whatever that number is at this point. What is that from your standpoint, from car financial standpoint, from either a debt buyer or capital provider standpoint, what is that concern level of, is it a year from now you think these are going to come back a little bit? Is it two years? I just spoke at a Chevy 20 group and they were asking me again, my thoughts on you know, when is inventory going to come down? And I think if you think we're going to get this 40% back, you know, I'm sorry, here's the wall, bang your head here. They're, we're not going to get that back again. We're not going to have 19 prices again. Um, what would, if you had that, and again, not holding your feet to the fire on this, but do you think we'll get 10% of it back? Do you think we'll get 15% of it back? So like I said, if you're looking at water in your portfolio and you guys have modeled this, Chris, because I know you guys, don't give me this, we've been consistent. <laughs> Don't give me the corporate car financial answer, all right? This is Jim's podcast. We talk about we talk about truths here. You guys have got to be building in a little bit of that. So ballpark it for us. Is it it's going to be 10? Do you think it's going to be 15% water in there? Do you think it'll be a little bit more? So, so Brent's known me a long, long time, and he knows that I'm not the political face of the organization. <laughs> so thank, thank heavens, thank heavens he's, for that. He's been trying uh, this whole time, Jim, but I know him better than that. So. <laughs> Uh, I I will tell you I I've been in this business uh, a long long time and I watched uh, cash for clunkers uh, come into the market and and wash out uh, I I watched a lot of highs and lows uh, within this and, and from from our perspective at Car Financial speaking entirely for myself and nobody else we deal in a we deal in a in a section of the market. Uh, that doesn't allow for these giant back and forth margin swings. Uh, when we're dealing in a uh, in a car that uh, has a uh, a cost of uh, four or five thousand dollars, maybe six, and you're dealing with 
uh, you know, eight to ten thousand, maybe twelve thousand dollar balances. Uh, we don't have we don't have the risk of the wild swings uh, that uh, another finance company might have that's going seventy two months uh, on a, a twenty five or thirty thousand dollar truck. So for us, for those guys, I, I think there should, if I were pulling one of those portfolios, uh, I might be significantly more concerned about that degradation than we are uh, in our portfolio because we simply just don't have the room in it to fall like they do. Uh, if that makes if that makes sense or stands to reason. So the, uh, when you ask the question about how much water is in the portfolio, uh, for us, uh, I would say it's probably uh, in the low single digits. Uh, for uh, for a, uh, another finance company is dealing in uh, that higher level inventory or in those longer term uh, contracts, I would say their number is significantly higher than that. Yeah. And like I said, I appreciate it. It's a it's a question that I've gotten from our dealers in the 20 groups. It's like, man, you know, God, two years from now, these cars, if they go back down to six grand, now I'm holding, right, in theory, 33% water in my portfolio at that point. And, and I wanted to hear from somebody outside because I've been trying to reassure them, look, guys, we're, we're not going to get the 40% back, right? This $9,000 car is not going to go back to $6,000 cars on January 1 of 2023. It's just not going to happen. Right. Um, we, we'll see a little bit of relief, but I don't think, I, don't, I personally, and I'll go on record as the NCM or brand either one. I don't think it's going to come back more than 10%. I really don't. I think this is who we are and this is who we're going to be um, for the foreseeable future. And I'm trying to position our dealers. Maybe I am being a little, the sky is falling chicken level kind of thing, but I'm trying to position, look, you got to get used to this inventory, this cost of inventory for your 2010 with 120,000 miles on it. This is what it is guys. And if you're going to kind of sit there and wait and go, no, 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 it'll come back to 6,000, your $10 million portfolio is going to be $5 million a year from now. Right. And you're going to go from 2,000 accounts to 1,000 accounts like that because you're waiting for this to happen and not to be worried about, I'm going to have a bunch of water in my portfolio because I just don't think it's, I think there's going to be some, don't get me wrong. I think there will be some. Um, but to your point, that's why I wanted to hear from you because again, you guys, huge portfolios out there. Um, it's good to hear. Uh, somebody that's kind of thinking, not necessarily what I'm thinking, but just to put their minds at ease. And look, guys, I, I think we're in this for a while, bad as it is. I think this is just who we are. So don't worry about the value of your portfolio. Worry about exactly what you talked about, consistent, effective underwriting and management of that risk for that cost of car. And then the water doesn't matter at that point. I mean, if you structure effective deals, I don't care if it's a nine grand ACV or a 90 grand ACV. If I structure the deal right for the right customer, it shouldn't matter at that point. Right. So I think the, uh, if I may, Jim, I, I think uh, to your point, our customer base, our dealer base goes out, repossesses the car, brings it back in, puts it back on the lot and resells it. So where uh, a, a a larger uh, dollar max ACV portfolio, say the the twenty five or thirty thousand dollar truck portfolio. Those those guys are typically not bringing that back in and reselling it. They're bringing it back in and trying to wholesale it. Uh -huh. So so for that guy, he's taking a loss that my dealer's not necessarily taking. 
as my guys holding on to it to resell it. And the great thing about it is, without regard to what the value of it is when he brings it back in, he's still got a lower basis in that car than he had when he sold it the first time because he got his down payment and he got a few payments. Then he had to repossess it. He brings it back in, he resells it. He gets another down payment and hopefully runs the term in the second customer. So it's a little bit of a different uh, ideal than the guy that's got the really large portfolio, the really large max ACB portfolio uh, from what ours uh, from what ours is seeing. A repossession to our dealer is not is not necessarily a bad thing. Right, it doesn't have the same impact. So I follow that, and I think um, I would. I, there are a couple of things, and I just need to let our listeners know this this broadcast is going to run a little longer maybe than some of ours do because we got we got some really important stuff still to talk about, and we, we you can tell that we've got really uh, folks who were deep in the trenches on these conversations and kind of you know you're you're sharing some things that i don't get a chance to talk about enough and and i would just say that we we see the same things i mean we're certainly um in a position to um see the same impact that you're talking about from the repo i think the thing that i i look forward to having you both sound off on here is that this i had a fun conversation with a, another um, lender at the niada conference and, and so here's really the question if, if you're advising dealers based on they, their, their ACV jumped a couple grand, you know, in a two-year span here, their customer is still employed at a similar income level. Their down payment is still the same $1,200 or whatever they had before. So from a pure finance standpoint, if I'm the dealer, my choices are to either try to run the customer's payment up, which we understand can have an impact on collections, right? If I run their payment up relative to their income, or I'm going to extend term, which kind of gets into this water in the portfolio that, that Brent's referring to. And I, I recorded some stuff out there, you know, several months ago on that subject. But so my question of you, Chris, as a finance person, I'm the dealer again, you know, advise me, would, would I be, based on your perspective on the industry, sudden jump in cost of car, and, and one quick aside, I just looked at dealers' numbers from last month, and they're selling around 100 cars a month, and their ACV is up about 15, I'm sorry, their cost in cash and deal, rather, is up about 1,500 per unit. So that's a big number to have to adjust in your operation, right? That's, that takes some real strategy to, to, to move those numbers in that way. Uh, and you need your lender, obviously, to probably participate in this conversation with, you, with us because... When I take that, that example, Chris, and I say, I can either run the customer's payment up relative to income, or I can extend the term on a car that's similar in miles and age is what I was financing two years ago. So what's your advice to me? Do I, is it a combination or where would, where would, where should I live if I'm the dealer? This is, this is probably the toughest conversation that we have with a dealer ever in the lifespan of that of that dealership and it really is uh, where our people in the field uh, do us the most good uh, because i can go out and have if i'm if i'm simply buying a call-in portfolio or a brokered portfolio and i don't know the dealer i can't have this conversation with that dealer mm -hmm. when we sign up a dealer we get to know that dealer uh, we know what's going on with them we know what makes their operation tick. We know what their underwriting is. We know what their normal collateral is. Uh, we know their normal terms and their normal downs. And we have the, uh, the information, the data to back that up. When we go out and talk to these guys, the message I think, especially now, is you can't just 
wildly throw out a, uh, a put a note on the uh, on the books because the customer has a good down payment or because they live in the area or because uh, you sold a car to their Uncle Joe before. Uh, you really have this is this is one of those times where we really need to uh, dig into the metrics. Uh, you really need to make sure uh, that the, the car is sound and that the underwriting is sound and that that customer has the ability to uh, to pay that payment. And it's, it's funny, uh, back in my Toyota days, uh, they moved me from Dallas, Texas to Washington, D.C., where you can just imagine what they did with me in Washington, D.C. My, with my accent. Uh, they had a blast with that. But one of the first uh, finance managers that I was ever really close friends with told me, Chris, the, the business is this, ability, stability, and equity. And, it, and, it, and it's never changed. Throughout any anything and any cycle and anything that we've done, ability, stability, and equity always reign supreme when you're underwriting a portfolio or a, or a, or a, or a deal. Uh, and that is, that's the thing that we have the ability to go in and talk to our dealers and really have a frank conversation about it. Now, to answer your question with that background, uh, we will expand our terms maybe a little bit, uh, maybe give a little better advance uh, when necessary on the, on the right structure. Uh, we'll ebb and flow uh, on that uh, with the dealer. Uh, but uh, to this same point, if a dealer came to me and he was on, say, uh, if he was on a payment sharing program, for instance, and he came to me and said, hey, I know my normal uh, uh, upfront advance is this, and I, I need to double it because there's so much going on in the market. We wouldn't do that. If he came back and said, my advance is X, and I need just a little bit more on this car because I paid a little bit more on it, or I want to go a little bit better term, I want to go a little bit longer term on it because it's a little better car, uh, or the customer had a little more down, or I've sold this customer five cars before, um, then we will uh, we'll talk through uh, those scenarios and make adjustments. But we have the ability, again, because of the way that we're structured, we have the ability to talk to those dealers and do those on a one-off. Mm -hmm. So we're not changing, as I said before, we're not really, uh, we're really consistent in everything that we do with the dealers, but we also have the ability to ebb and flow a little bit uh, where we can help them uh, on those individual circumstances and in cases like that. One other thing that, uh, that you had mentioned, from an economic standpoint, if, if the car is increasing in cost, uh, and the uh, customer and the customer is staying the same, but we're inflating everything else around it. I would I would suggest uh, that the customer may be making a little more also. Uh, so it's certainly something certainly something you have to look at. Um, but uh, the you know going back to what I said earlier, uh, if we get a customer there uh, that doesn't fit the car that they're looking to buy or are wanting to get into the, the deal that they're looking to get into, you've got to be able to move that customer. Uh, just because they're coming in and, and looking for the Denali, uh, doesn't mean you put them in it. Uh, it may be that that customer needs something else. And I know with our dealer base, I'm preaching to the choir there, but it's really, it, it really becomes uh, the most important thing today.
I get it. So Brent, I know you have something to add to that. And by the way, we're definitely getting into some of the hardest questions and buy here, pay here today. So. <laughs> For sure. I'll just tell you this, two of the groups I just met with, we spent two hours, each group spent two hours on this topic. And we actually identified, you have seven controllable factors that we found to help, to help offset risk. Going into the conversation, they basically thought they had two, right? I can extend term or higher payments and that's it. And we identified you have direct control over cost of the car. You can just choose to buy a later model, older car, and keep your $6,000 gross. So we kind of went around the room. Who wants to do that? Well, I don't want that car on my lot. Okay, great. Another area you have in, an impact on is the reconditioning of that car. Maybe you don't try to recondition it for a three-year term and because we know most of them don't go to term anyway. Well, nope, we're not going to cut our reconditioning cost. Brand. Okay, great. Gross, right? Short term. And again, back to Chris's point, you got to know your metrics. I mean, there's some dealers out there that cannot afford to cut their gross because they don't do as well on the collecting side. So they need that to make sure that their dealership stays profitable. But we found some dealers that, you know, we could in the short term, if collections didn't suffer at all, they had some room and could still be as profitable as long as it maintained a certain volume level. So we found some, some positives there. Down payment was one, obviously, if your car goes up $1,000, you can raise your down payments $1,000. And Chris, Jim, you know where that goes. Right. Sales are going to go down if I have to have a $2,000 down as opposed to a thousand. So we kind of threw that one out. Um, interest was one that came up that has a has a bigger impact, believe it or not, on the deal than anything else. And when I threw this one out, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought they were going to throw me out of the meeting room. I mean, I did. I thought they were going to be on a phone call in Zim saying we need a new moderator. This one's been drinking or something but we can't cut our interest rates. And for a lot of them, we actually showed them their own metrics that we know buy here, pay here 101, interest should cover charge-offs where some of them do such a good job of collecting that there is a pretty good surplus there. And again, this is not something for everybody that's listening. I'm not saying you do this as a practice for now on and ever, but again, if you're maxing out, which I think you should at 21 or 22%, I even went into a, a dealer's software and we brought a deal up on the screen and said, okay, look, if you go from your 24 to let's just say 10.9 on all your deals from here on out, 15 to $1,700 reduction in total of the payments. That's four months off of a term with the average payment, right? And another positive to that short term would be more money goes to principal than interest on that deal than it would in the past. Therefore, I'm reducing, reducing my principal balance quicker, therefore reducing my risk quicker. Right. But again, not for every dealer that you would want to do that because some of them don't have the financial metrics to get away with that. And then the last two are pretty simple. It's term and payment, right? You can just go, look, I can't, these other five, Brent, you're crazy. I can't do anything about them. You have two choices, extend your term or raise your payments. One thing that we do with our groups, we do a deal structure analysis every October and we look at the recent 10 deals or 20 deals. And, you know, to Chris's point, it's ability, stability, and he's got equity. I learned it as stability, ability, willingness, and security. The, the saws, the force, the, we've been around basically the same amount of time doing the same, uh, doing the same training, I guess, back in the day. But, you know, I see too many dealers where most of their deals were going out at a 16, 17, 18% PTI. And we've had Naveen on here with Neo, and, and we all know that, you know, and Ken's even validated the number somewhere close to that 25% payment to income. If we can stay below that loss ratio, stay, you know, pretty close. And my challenge to the dealers was, guys, you just can't let deals go out at that anymore. 
um, unless you're wanting to go 48 months or 54 months on a deal. So, I mean, if the customer can afford, based on your metrics and your history and your loss ratios, a 22% PTI, then that's what we need to be showing them. We need to show them that $110, $120 a week payment to help offset some of this. So, like I said, these two-hour discussions, the seven points, and it wasn't, you know, we don't tell you this is what you should do. Say, here's your seven controllable. Mm-hmm. Which one of these can you live with if we need to change it? Which one based on, again, not just what you want to do, but what makes financial sense for you? And the eye-opening part of it, I didn't come with these seven. I, we just started asking, what do we have control over? And those were the seven that came up. And we just said, now, now you've got seven. You thought you had two. Term and payment is all you thought you had. Now there's five others, and maybe it's a little bit of everything. Maybe I stop raising my hand at six grand instead of seven, find a little bit in recon at a couple of hundred bucks, knock $500 off the sale price, get another couple hundred dollars down, maybe come from 20 to 19% interest rate. There's one month, but my payment $5 times three years, that's $700. If I do that, I mean, we could knock off that $1,500 pretty quickly if we just take the time to look at it. That's so good. And Chris, I do want to have you speak to the the interest and the other parts he, he talked about. There are two things in there I want to circle back to. I saw him grinning when I said that. He said, yeah, yeah, that's crazy, Jim. You need yeah. to get that's it not happening. now. <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta let him get in there. But something you said in there, Brent, that I want to make sure for our listeners to clarify. You said that interest should cover charge off. So I want to make sure, are you typically expecting that to do on a gross or a net basis? Um, on a net basis. Okay, so interest income, just for our listeners, interest income that you bring in on a monthly basis or whatever range of time we want to measure should cover our charge-offs net of uh, repo ACV. Net of repo recovery. And again, yeah. Chris is kind of nodding his head. A lot of us and Jim, you know, we kind of learned this back in the day. That was a Jim DeVoe, God rest him, yeah. uh, for JD Byrider, right? Your interest covers your charge-offs and then whatever gross you charge, you get to keep. Now, yeah. some states, Arkansas uh, being one of them, you know, has low 17.9, I think, is their usury cap. So those dealers may struggle a little bit more depending if they're kind of a, more of a higher risk. But yeah, I mean, that's one that we've always looked at. And like I said, the better dealers have, and again, let me throw this disclaimer out there. Anybody that's listening, I'm not saying this is what you should do. I'm saying it's an option, but you really have to understand, to Chris's point, you really have to understand your metrics and your business. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a, let's say you're a very good collection dealer and you've got a half a million dollar excess at the end of the year, then sure, it's something I can take a look at on a short-term basis. But again, this is not something I would tell any dealer specifically, this is what you have to do and you should be doing. I just threw up the example of that and showed them that it is a significant difference. It is $1,500, $1,600 that I can cut out of a term, which for most is almost a four-month term. So I don't need to go 48 months. Now I can go from 36 maybe to 40 or 42, but I don't have to add that other year to it. Again, assuming that maybe I'm not getting the customer that is at the $15, $16 an hour. They're still 9, 10, 11. I can still make that affordable for them. But that, yeah, I mean, the, the looks on the faces, I, I mean, I, I was scared. Right. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. I threw that one out there and I had about 30 guys in the room yeah. looking yeah. at me like, yeah. what yeah. the? Yeah. Right. And I'm like, hang Security. on, give me a minute, guys. Security. Yeah. Uh, so no, I, Chris, I do want to have you speak to that, but I got, I got to make sure I say before we get away from it, without selling anything, Brent Carmichael just took you guys inside the value of being a 20 grip member, right? I mean, if you, you just heard 
what you can get out of being in a 20 group. And so I just think it's important for our listeners to recognize, you know, these are among the kind of things that we're, we're wrestling with out there in our industry right now. And, you know, being part of those conversations is really important. So, you know, um, Chris, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts? We saw you smile about the, the interest rate. What do you, you think? You live out there in the Southeast where they got those 28, 29% interest rates. What do we think? Well, we can't live without them. So I, I, I'm surprised <laughs> that they didn't kill Brent. I, I would have loved to have been there because I could have run security for him. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, but uh, but I, when he says they almost strung him up, I imagine that that was real close to uh, real close to what happened. Uh, I for our dealers, uh, that interest rate uh, makes the portfolio worth more. So we're always asked. The first question any dealer ever asks us is, "What do you pay?" And the answer to that is we pay all across the board. I can't tell you what I pay without looking at what you have, just like you can't go and buy a car without looking at it before you, uh, before you bid on it. Uh, the higher the interest rate, the shorter the term, the better the collateral, the longer the pay of the customer, all of those things make a difference. But at the top of that list uh, really is the interest rate. And we've done business in Arkansas for, uh, I opened it uh, to, car in probably 1990 uh Brent, when did they change the when did they change the usury rate there that was, still under the old, that, was, that was under the old five points over the discount back in the day and i remember right. we were for four or five years like five and a quarter was the max interest yes. rate we could charge hmm. um and that was in the late 90s um right. back in the day now they went to the 17 what six years ago i guess what is this 2022 so 15 right. or 16, they, they allowed them to do up to 17.9, I think is what their max is now. Oh, and when yeah, they like moved it. from, when they moved from the, you know, from the 5% uh, over the discount rate and, and not for nothing, but there wasn't a discount rate at that point. The, the, the law pointed to a, a rate that was not recognized by the government. So it was really a, a, an issue. Uh, we were still a division of Wells Fargo at that time. And uh, getting it through our corporate governance uh, to be able to go into the state of Arkansas and do that uh, was extremely difficult. But we we persevered and we did business there. The the price that we would pay for a portfolio uh, when the rate jumped from five to seventeen or five to fifteen, uh, and I think it made a couple of incremental changes there. I think it went from five to twelve, and then and then to where it is now. But the price that we would pay for a portfolio uh, went up commensurate with that. Uh, it didn't follow it one to one because you're discounting a uh, bulk portfolio. Uh, but there was some uh, commensurate increase that went along with that increase from the old APR to the new one. And that just that that's just an example that shows the benefit of the higher APR. Now again, uh, we're dealing with. Uh, we, we have plenty of dealers that are large, large portfolio dealers, many of whom are in NSCM's uh, 20 groups. But we also have a lot of uh, the uh, younger dealers in business uh, and more uh, moderate uh, 15 to 20 car a month uh, guys, uh, even down to the five and six car a month uh, guys. And for them, it's a lot more important for them to get everything that they can get out of each deal than it is for the guy that's got a, a 3,000 car, for, uh, 3,000 account portfolio, uh, just for obvious reasons in the in the metrics. 
Uh, it just goes back to what I said originally, uh, Jim, when we talked about the underwriting of the portfolio. Now is not the time to try to write a note on every customer that walks on your lot. It's just, it's, you just got to be a, you just got to try to be a little more conservative than that. Uh-huh. Um, and that's, that's just going to be, it's just going to be that way for the next uh, foreseeable future, probably. Yeah. How's that? No, that's foreseeable good. future. Come on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's, uh, that's why Brent's here as, uh, as our co-host. You know, it's the it's the good cop bad cop thing. Brent's, Brent's going to come at you a little harder. I'm sorry, no, I, I told you, sure. I said I, I get into my moderator mode sometimes yeah, right. on this, and it's like, yeah. well, wait a minute. But, yeah. So yeah, and I I kick into my neutral co-host position where I can say, you know, you 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 like that twenty nine percent in Georgia or whatever, but but it sounded like you made the eighteen percent work in Arkansas too. So I'm just saying, there's there's a model there for both. We could probably make both work and i think it's it's one of the things to brent's point it's one of the pieces that we need to kind of keep in our tool belt so to speak as to way to navigate from here to you know for me brent it's two years out like if i'm advising a client i'm just saying let's let's just be prepared to uh you know let's get us to two years and then let's regroup you know it's kind of where i'm thinking about this and uh and so that just means interest could be one piece of that uh, certainly, I'm just uncomfortable with the idea of pushing PTI too high. I think that just puts pressure on collections and makes for an unhappy collector and an unhappy customer for three years. And so I just, you know, I'm trying to trying to strike that balance. And uh, so, so we, I, I don't have the answers either. Uh, I think as we wrap up here, what I would do is, uh, you know, there there are folks in our industry probably, and, and I don't necessarily know them at this point, but there are folks in our industry who are deep inside these metrics that we're talking about. And I would like for the, to ask you guys to help. Let's find them and let's bring them to this conversation, and uh, and let's go a little further on that subject because I, I just know of nothing that's more important to buy here, pay here right now than than those things. I think you know what we talked about earlier: consistency in underwriting is going to be important. Consistency in business model probably is also going to be valuable. And I think what we see, uh, Chris, I heard you describing earlier, you know, those people with the $25,000 trucks, you know, I think of that buy here, pay your operation is kind of a top tier or they're, they're almost serving a C paper customer where we're maybe a D paper customer and, you know, the buy here, pay your dealers that we work with day in and day out. So I almost view it as a different model, different strategy. Uh, but for those th- folks that we work with day in and day out that are really in the buy here, pay your space doing um, you know, the D paper customer and really financing that customer maybe again and again, then they might have a little different strategy to invoke here. And uh, so again, that's, that's a conversation we'll have to save for next time. I think we can probably wrap up there. We, we won't cover it all today. So we have to break it off there somewhere, but uh, yeah. So gentlemen, I appreciate it. And again, uh, you can find Chris Tiller at carfinancial.com. Chris, you want to share your full email address for anybody who wants to reach out to Chris? Yeah, it's, it's real simple. It's chris.tiller at carfinancial.com. Okay. And I know Brent is uh, B. Carmichael at NCM Associates. NCM, by the way, has been around since 1947. They probably learned a thing or two about 20 groups in that time. So uh, just be aware. <laughs> they they kind of got it figured out. And Brent's, Brent's out there running nine groups, Brent? Um, actually, officially, I just uh, took on another one. I'm up to uh, 11 total, 20 groups in. Wow. So that's why I say if you if you want to get Brendan dealership, you better get on his calendar because he's a busy guy. And uh, Chris, I know you're busy too. I appreciate you making time to join us. But until next time, folks, I would just remind our listeners that they can find these um, archive podcasts out there on. Uh, 
You'll find them on YouTube, of course, by following our, our YouTube channel. And then we're uh, now uh, syndicated across your favorite podcast platforms. You'll be able to find these, listen to them in your truck on the way to the, the auction or whatever. So uh, uh, and, until next time, folks, thanks for tuning in to the Tote the Note podcast and uh, uh, share in the comments how we can help or topics you'd like to hear next time. Thanks for joining us. Please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe to Tote the Note. And thanks again to our sponsor, Neo. Find them at neoverify.com. Until next time.